Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast number 39. Hi, this is Amy, the Senior Group Fitness Instructor at the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Are you looking for a spark of inspiration to bring to your next class? Find us at IndoorCycleInstructor.com. Cycle Instructor Podcast. I'm John McGowan, your host, and you can reach me, John, at IndoorCycleInstructor.com. I love hearing from you. I'm continuing to get some uh, very nice responses, and I just appreciate having you as a listener. The previous podcast with Graham Street talked about creating additional value for your class participants in the form of a an actual product that you could offer them that has a beginning and end and goes beyond just typical show up for an indoor cycling class. And while I was recording this with Graham, I couldn't help but think, I just took this class. A week ago, I was out in Lower Burl, Pennsylvania, with Gene Nacy and his Global Ride Studio, and he has developed a cycling training workshop that really does exactly what Graham was describing we're going to talk to Gene a little bit. We're also going to talk to him about his, what uh, many people are saying now is an impossible task, and that is training principally indoors to fly to Italy and over the course of five days ride 415 or so miles. So, Gene Nacy, welcome to the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Thanks, John. It's always good to talk with you. Oh, well, I enjoy having you. I was out there a week ago just to uh, experience your global ride offering your studio. We've had you on discussing your Global Ride DVDs in the past. I took Saturday morning, we did, I did one of your cycling training workshop classes. As we listened to Graham last week, it, I'm thinking this is exactly what we're trying to, what, you know, what we're trying to get instructors to do in order to monetize their classes. How did you uh, come up with the concept of your workshop? Well, I recalled last winter, that we had a lot of fun and did a lot of good uh, base training, but we really didn't have a lot of structure to it. And folks that already knew about base training, good principles of training, did extremely well. So when we hit our first charity ride, those folks were super strong, feeling great, seeing the results. But the others really didn't because they didn't have a, a structured approach. So I said, well, Maybe that's my job as the, uh, the club owner and as an instructor. I should put this structure together for them. We have a heads up. We have the whole winter. We know what's coming. So I put a um, 12-week plan together and marketed it for probably six weeks before January 1st because during the holidays, people have their mind on everything but you know training for uh, spring rides. Mm-hmm. So um, I knew it would take, take a while. So I just put some material together and a little education in the marketing material about why it's important to uh, train and base build. And, and uh, so then by January 1st, I had about a dozen folks signed up, which is all I needed really was 10. And uh, we put a 12-week program together. It was every Saturday and made sure that we had components uh, of cross-training as well as uh, indoor cycling 
to uh, make it a, a comprehensive program. Now, what I experienced was you you were going beyond that. You know, we, the class started with a classroom lecture that you gave. Right. And uh, again, sort of getting back to the fact that there's a, a great deal of ignorance about training. People love to exercise, but training, that's a different thing. Absolutely. And, I love uh, to hear that. And, and, you know, the only difference is, in my opinion, purpose and knowledge. And so I said, for at least 30 minutes, we're going to fill the void there. We're going to do some educating, just enough that each week they'll take away something additional. So by the end of 12 weeks, they'll know the difference between exercise and training. They'll have purpose and, and knowledge behind them as well as the time, you know, put in. So we would uh, start with a theme each week. What are we going to look at? And when you, the beauty is when you have 12 weeks, you really can cover everything. And if you hold yourself to 30 minutes, it forces you to be succinct, which then allows them to be able to retain things. And as I experienced, you were reinforcing them throughout the, the class. And, and I think, how long does the whole thing take? It's about four hours. That includes about 20 minutes of uh, getting a snack. Obviously, if you're going to work out for four hours, uh, you got to be able to refuel somewhere along the way. Mm-hmm. So um, it's about four hours. It starts at 8.30, ended at 12.30. We started with a 30-minute uh, classroom training. And, yes, those principles we talked about, we tried to reinforce in uh, one or more of the uh, segments of the, of the class. And the next segment was we would either do strength training with light weights or uh, our spinning. Those two things uh, we were able to flip-flop from week to week, depending on how we felt or what was going to fit in better. But we would do a a strength training for about anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour. These are the basic high reps, low weight type of training training specifically designed for cyclists. We would use stability balls and dumbbells predominantly. And we did a little bit of plyometrics as well. From there, we started in the initial weeks with a 50-minute class. So just under an hour, we spent the first four weeks at that level. And then every two weeks, we increased by 10 minutes. So this coming Saturday will be our 11th week, and we'll be at 90 minutes. And that was the objective, is to get to the final two weeks to be able to do 90 minutes in the saddle indoors. And it's a gradual progression so that, you know, each week it's not too big of a jump and they can adjust to it. We top the whole thing off with an hour of a Pilates slash yoga class, where it's about 30 minutes of each. And this has been, actually for me, my favorite class of the week. It's a fantastic combination of core training and uh, flexibility and and stretching. One of the things that struck me is that you recognize you can't do all these things yourself. So you're bringing in outside experts, uh, partners, so to speak, to add those other components that you may not be qualified to teach. And I saw that as, you know, people listening to Grammy last week, they're thinking, oh, okay, but I'm not a personal trainer. You know, what do I do? Well, ta-da, the solution, you know, find somebody to work with that, you know, has the same entrepreneurial spirit that you may have and but can provide those things. So you actually bring in a Pilates instructor. Exactly. And the, the beauty here, since we are very cycling friendly and cycling centric, is that we have quite a few cyclists that 
are skilled in those other areas. So again, to make it work financially, we allowed the Pilates instructor to come in and take the entire workshop for free if she would do the Pilates working. And the same thing with strength training. In fact, with the, uh, the weights and uh, stability balls, I, I know the right routines and I've done them myself, but I preferred to have someone that was a personal trainer that was certified to lead those to make sure that the form was correct and so forth. And, of course, uh, I let them take the class for free. In this case, actually, uh, it was just a, a discount uh, on the class because that particular portion of the whole session was, was much smaller than the Pilates yoga section. So I do those things throughout with the other classes we have as well. I use the other instructors, and we, we can either barter for services, and I guess that's part of the uh, privilege of uh, not just being an instructor but also managing the club. And for those listening, the little background noise we're hearing is there's a indoor class going on right above you, isn't there, Gene? Yes, they had St. Patty's Day uh, spin today. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, we're recording this on March 17th. Okay, so tell me about the economics of, of all this. What are the participants paying for your, the 12-week program? Well, we have um, memberships here, and people can also just buy an individual class or a group of classes, so membership isn't required. And we had a, a mixture of folks that were regular members, and as a regular member, they have all their classes free, spinning, Pilates, yoga, strength training when they're led by instructors and because we also have the strength training room they can use on their own but for those folks classes were free so they had a rate that was about forty uh, percent less than folks that came in from the outside that were not members and principally that's because they're taking multiple classes of course yoga and pilates and spinning these are multiple classes as well as the expertise for the uh, program itself the structure and the education there was one class that averaged about uh, $20 per Saturday for the members per week. So for 12 weeks, that's $240. That's what they paid for the workshop, which is fairly inexpensive. But being our first year, we wanted to get some good buzz going about results and people would see the fun. We had a great group, a lot of fun. The camaraderie was obvious, and that's infectious to the whole club. So we made the price point very manageable. But that's in addition to their you know, monthly membership fee. And I didn't have any complaints about the cost of it or whatever. They were, you know, they obviously saw that, that $20 was great for a four-hour-led you know, workshop. And then the outside folks just paid, like I said, about 40% more. As you present this in a, in a chunk of time, where you know somebody may say, well, I'm an outdoor cyclist. You know, but at the, at the same time, it gets cold. And... Yesterday in Minnesota, we had our first day over 60 since I think it was June last year. So, right, right. But, um, but to be able to present this in a chunk of time that works for someone who you know may never see the inside of a club all summer, I think is just a neat thing. And if if you are owning or managing some type of a club, I don't care if it's a small one like which a studio or a boutique type studio like you have or a large chain club why people aren't offering uh, winter memberships that would address the needs of an outdoor athlete uh, defies explanation but that's probably the topic of, of another podcast all right good the other thing i saw in this gene is that you're kind of building a community you know you live in a small community you're a almost rural 
where you are. Right. And, and uh, that was, you know, part of the big purpose to do this is that we want, we know that the cycling community is a fairly fragmented group. People have uh, a friend or two they ride with, but almost universally, everyone likes to meet more people to ride with. They want to have other opportunities to ride because if they only have one or two people to ride with, that means a lot of times they can ride and someone else can't. So we provide that and this allowed people to meet each other, to meet new people. And we also pushed them in this class. Part of what I did every class was I looked at what they did over the week. We used an online journal. Uh, there's many out there. And uh, the one we used was fitnessjournal.org. And I would go in the night before every uh, uh, class on a Friday night and I would print out what they've done for the week. And... You know, I would encourage them when they put in their time because, of course, we told them that if they only come on Saturdays, they're not going to get as much out of it. They needed to come through the week as well, which promoted more use of the club, which is all good for the club, again, owners and managers. So I sort of held them, held their feet to the fire, kept them honest, gave them, you know, tactful chastisement when they slacked off. And, uh, and it worked. It kept them going. And that's how they're really going to see the results. It's something like this keeps them going throughout the winter. Uh, another thing in the interview last week with Graham Street, which I really thought was profound, the whole concept of qualifying the participants in that, you know, they're going to be responsible for doing the work. Right. And so did you have a process like that where I, it was it was a process but it might not have been as and Graham sounded like he, had, he might have had a form or something what, what I did was you know I just looked him in the eye and told them you're going to waste your time and money if you don't come out two more times minimum between Saturdays and you need to promise me that you will because I want results for you and so do you and I got basically you know verbal commitments just and held them to the word. And outside of people actually being sick, getting the flu, everyone held to that. Well, and which is a huge step beyond, well, we have a class scheduled for 830 on Saturday. Hope, right. Hope you come. Hope you come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. And okay, so one of the things that I want to mention, but will be a topic of a future podcast is you've developed a concept you call cycling fusion, which is well, I'll let you explain it. Well, it, you know, as I got into indoor training, coming from outdoor cycling only background, I started to see really phenomenal results when I would hit the road in the, in the spring. And I do a lot of, not a lot, but I do some amateur racing. And so it's easy for me to gauge when I've had improvements because I have better race results. Uh, and my training goes better. You know, I have certain routes that I'm either faster or you know, can complete in less time. And there's a lot of hills here in Pennsylvania. So it's also easy for me to tell when I'm in better shape. <laughs> I, I need to tell people I got there and I, after I was there for a couple of days, there is not a hundred foot flat stretch of road anywhere near where you live. Yeah. So if you like it or not, you're climbing in Pennsylvania. Oh my gosh. It's either up or down and yeah. it's not just little hills either. I, and, and just the, just the, you, if you ever get a chance to go out there, just for you to get home is a climb bigger than just about anything I could ever find anywhere in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, That's it's just it's that, that, last painful, <laughs> that last painful climb before you're home. 
So, uh, yeah, so it's, it was easy for me to see the benefits of the, the indoor program. So it, it befuddled me when I started talking to my cycling buddies who didn't do anything indoors. And there was this sort of, I guess, a bad impression about indoor cycling and group indoor cycling and spinning in many, uh, for many cyclists. And uh, so as I dug deeper and got certified to teach and saw that, well, yeah, there's, I can see why now, because there's right ways to do it and wrong ways to do it. My own research uh, was comprised of going to about 20 different clubs in the area and around the country when I released our DVDs. And I saw that I, did, I had no idea how badly it could be done. And it can be. And uh, so I said, well, the problem isn't, the, isn't in just per se indoor cycling. The problem is how it's done. And if we do it with the idea in mind that we want to get better at outdoor cycling, then we can meld these two worlds together. The outdoor cyclists can get much more out of the indoor classes and we can introduce the indoor folks to outdoor riding. And we did that in, at our club. We had people for the first time riding outside doing their first 30 mile, 50 mile and even 100 mile uh, rides and being thrilled about it. And when I asked them, why didn't you ever try before? It was all all their reasons fall under one category, ignorance. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like a fairly easy, so to speak, uh, solution to the problem is people need to be educated. And that's, that's how Cycling Fusion came about. If we can educate the outdoor folks of how beneficial indoor cycling can be when it's done right, and if we can educate the indoor folks about the riding you know, opportunities outside and how to make what they do work outside, Maybe we can see these two worlds come together. And so to demonstrate it, you decided to just hop on your bike, or I should say hop on an airplane with your bike, head off to Italy, and do the first five stages of the Giro d'Italia, which you call the... The Giretto. Giretto, yes. and In Italian, that means little Giro. So tell us about that. What? Well, um, you know, I've been trying to sort of spread the word to the cycling community. Hey, it's it's really great. We had... Our own team last summer that had better results, individuals had better results in every race, but these are, you know, one and two people at a time. And so I'm still a little frustrated that, that I wasn't getting my message across. And I said, well, maybe we need to make a bigger point. And maybe we need a bigger platform to make that point. And have an affinity towards Italy, because I, I ride there once a year, I said, wow, Lance is in the Giro this year. I can't miss that. And it was sort of all came together that that would be proof in the pudding there. What if I could ride maybe the first four or five stages from start to finish in front of Lance and the pros with only indoor or mostly, say, 90% indoor training because it's so early in the year, I can't get outside to train anyway. This has been one of the coldest winters we've ever had and one of the snowiest in, in the Pittsburgh area. And I said, if that doesn't prove the power of indoor training, I don't know what does. So uh, when I, as I started to put this together, I said, but I need to ride for more than just proof of, uh, of making a point. Let's give it a little higher goal than that. And, uh, you know, Lance's connection with cancer and the Livestrong Foundation that he founded made perfect sense. So I contacted them. Uh, they were skeptical because most charity rides are not this arduous, Right. And um, no, they're, easy. they're easy. 
they're yeah, they're, they're, the whole des- they're designed to be easier, right? Because they want more people to do it. But they said yes, I think um, somewhat reluctantly, but almost on a dare. Now, they wouldn't probably say it was a dare, but I could hear it in the voice, the, the skepticism, which makes me all the more committed to make it happen. And then as I got into it more and more, I realized this could really be an annual event and one of the few charity rides that truly attracts not only elite cyclists, but amateur racing cyclists, because it's so early in the year, it probably will not conflict with any of their race schedules. And having ridden in Italy, and for these kind of miles and this kind of terrain, you probably couldn't create a better tune-up for any racer in the U.S. than the first five stages of the Giro. When exactly is that? The uh, first stage is May 8th. I'm sorry, uh... May 9th. We fly over on the 7th. Jet lag recovery May 8th. May 9th is a ceremonial type time trial. It's only 12 miles. That'll be our just fun little photo op stage, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then we do four stages that the total miles are 403 miles for those four stages with the final two heading into the Alps and being spent in the mountains. Mm, Yikes. Yikes. And if those of you that are following Jennifer Sage on Twitter, you recognize that she has committed to going on this. We have uh, Jennifer and uh, my daughter, Nina, and another local cyclist who has ridden for us on our uh, global ride racing team here, Josh Carson. So what's nice is there's three of us here in this area that are training together. And then uh, we also have Raquel Schmidt, who is another master instructor from uh, Mad Dog or Spin Fitness has committed as well. So we have five total right now, but we're really looking for five more. I'd I'd love to bring 10, and we're reserving enough rooms and everything for 10 riders. Right. Now, so this is, as I understand it, going to be like a European bike tour on the cheap, so to speak. Yes, uh, we are requiring that the, um, the, each, each of the riders pay their own travel expenses, but Airfare is low now. They're, it's running from Pittsburgh less than $500 and from California right around six six fifty at the most. So that's the, the cheapest I've ever seen uh, round trips to, uh, to Italy. And we are getting the um, sort of the support vehicle and transportation to and from the airport. Those are going to be covered by more corporate sponsors so they're only paying for really room and board and their airfare and uh so far the budget looks like we're going to keep that number under fifteen hundred dollars including their airfare and yeah you could never do a a week tour in italy for that although i can't say that it's going to feel completely like a vacation no but at the same time it'll be an experience i'm sure the participants will never forget and again it's important to recognize that you've been to italy many times you speak italian uh, Jennifer has toured there for 15 years, I think, something like that. So it is not without experience. So it's not like it's somebody's just, everybody's just, let's go and see what happens. No, right. And we also have an in-country uh, company called uh, Cycling Made in Italy. And uh, this is a group that also takes tours, as well as Jennifer's Viva Travels takes tours in, in Italy as well. So what's neat is these two groups, these two, what would, normally be considered competitors have dis, have agreed to uh, work together for the benefit of the Giro since it is a charity ride and take zero profit 
but just uh, do everything they can, pulling their resources together to uh, to help this be done on the cheap, so that the money can really go towards uh, uh, Livestrong Foundation. Okay, so somebody listening to this that says, "Well, I can't go to Italy, but I'd like to help." What could they do? Uh, if they just uh, go on the internet to www.cyclingfusion, c y c l i n g fusion dot com, and you'll see the details about the the ride, and there's a one of the big links says uh, sponsor a rider. So you click on sponsor a rider, you'll see profiles of each of the riders, and you can click on any one of them and donate towards one of them, or you can also just go to the purpose page and just donate to the uh, to the ride in general. But it's interesting to go to the rider page. You can read about the riders. Also, each of the riders has chosen a cancer survivor to ride for, making it uh, you know more personal. And uh, so I, I like that aspect about it. It's, it's international and it's very personal at the same time. And we'll be getting some updates from you uh, once you're there. Oh, well, yeah, we're going to do blogging every day. We're going to do uploading YouTube videos every day. We're going to be Twittering as close to once an hour that is possible while we're still riding. So it's gonna, we're going we're gonna to maximize the use of technology for sure. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to that. Okay, perfect. Well, Gene Nacy. Thank you for being on the Indoor Cycle Instructor podcast today. We enjoyed it, and I'm just looking forward to seeing how things develop for you. As always, it's a pleasure, John, and next year I want to see you in Italy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, I'm feeling that pressure already. Uh, All right. I will be including links to everything else we discussed in the show notes for this podcast. It will be number 39. I can't believe 39 of these. Only eight months into this whole thing. Awesome. Um, if you have uh, any questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, my email is john at indoorcycleinstructor.com. And until next time, thanks for listening. Ciao.